Amen. It is such an encouraging thing to be in the house of the Lord today and to worship the songs of redemption with those who have been made upright in heart through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, to think of that last song that we've just sung, the unto Christ belongs highest of praises, honor, and glory. And He has not received that today. Though we do our utmost by the Spirit of God, He is not yet receiving the highest praises, honor, and glory. But the day is coming when all creation will sing and praise the glories of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And He will receive the worship worship not only of all the angels and all creation, but of an entire restored humanity whom He has redeemed from every tribe, people, nation, language. And in that day, Christ will finally receive the worship that He is worthy to receive. And in light of that day, it is a joy to gather together and to sing His praises with you. It's a tiny taste of eternity and heaven here at Grace Chapel. And so, Jesus tells us in Luke eleven twenty eight that those who are blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. And so, if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 6-11 through 11 of 1 Peter 5 this morning where we find, I believe, an incredibly stirring closure to our study of this book of essential Christianity, Christianity 101 from the book of 1 Peter. It's a closing passage that I have titled for our study, Keep Running. Keep Running. And no, this is not a New Year's resolution message. We live in West Liberty, Ohio. Everybody's already running, so I don't need to give that message. Uh, Maybe I should get more serious about running myself, but I always think about uh, Proverbs 28, verse 1, which says the wicked man runs when no one is chasing him. So, there's that. (laughs) But you know, even if I was talking about physical running this morning, the most encouraging words I think a runner can hear is, from someone, is keep on running, preferably accompanied by the words, you're almost there. You know, there have been three times in my life that really stand out to me as important moments when those encouraging words, keep running, were spoken to me. The first was when I was in sixth grade. I was participating in the Awana Olympics, and I had been selected to run the marathon. It's not as impressive as it sounds. It's six times around a little circle. Um, but for me, it was, it was a race between me and three other boys. And the whistle blew, and we were off. And I didn't focus on anything else but running as quickly as possible around that circle over and over again without wiping out. Until suddenly I realized that there was no one else running around that circle with me. I was completely alone. I looked around in confusion as I was running, and just when I was about to slow down and stop, my coach yelled out from the sidelines, Keep on running! And so I did. I kept running. He must have known something that I didn't know. Well, at the end of the race, I found out the reason why I was running alone was because every other runner had disqualified themselves in one way or another. And because I kept running, I won the prize, even though I would not have won any other way. So that's the first time I remember those encouraging words, keep running, being spoken to me. Keep running even when no one else is. The second time I remember those words being spoken to me was when I was in college I was running a 5K with one of my best friends, 
And I don't know what happened, but suddenly I hit the worst wall I had ever hit in running. Almost immediately at the same exact moment, my legs started cramping, my lungs burned, and I got this awful stitch in my side. I could, uh, I, I could handle one of those things at a time, but all three at once was excruciating. So I gasped out to my friend who was keeping pace with me, i got to stop. Go on without me. And my friend said, no, keep running. The finish line's right around the bend. We're almost there. I looked up, and sure enough, I was able to see straight away that I was almost there, and I didn't even know it. And so through the pain, I was able to finish that race stronger than I had originally thought. So that's the second time the words keep running were spoken to me that stand out in my life. Keep running even when it hurts. The third time I remember those encouraging words being spoken to me was when I was a young father. We had our first boy, Felix, and God had seen fit to give us another child, a daughter named Felicity. My wife carried her in the womb for 41 weeks over a week past her due date when suddenly Felicity died in the womb. Moments like that are hard. They hurt no matter which way you look at it. My three-year-old boy that had been playing with his sister when he felt her rolls and kicks just days before was now asking me, Daddy, where's the baby? And my wife was now being rushed to the emergency room every single week for over two months as we were trying to fight off an infection that was debilitating her in every way imaginable, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And then on top of that, I was a pastor. And the hard reality is, sometimes sheep and Satan will kick you when you're laying down. And just when I was beginning to think, I cannot do this anymore, I came across a song that was written by Matt Papa that, that puts Hebrews 12, 1-2, which we read in our scripture reading this morning, in song that's called A Pilgrim's Progress, Keep Running. Part of the song goes like this. If you're like me, if you feel like you can't go on, and you'll never see the dawn, and you're just about to break, don't stop now. Know that every sacrifice, it'll all be worth the price when you finally see his face. So keep running. Keep running. Don't lose heart. Don't you give up now. Don't turn around. You've got to find a way somehow to keep running. Run harder. Dig deeper. The pain cannot compare with the reward that will be yours that waits in store for those who keep on running. That's the third important moment I remember in my life where those words, keep running, were an immense encouragement to me. Keep running because you're almost there. In those weary moments, I would play that song on repeat while Felix, our little Barnabas, would run around the house because he's hearing keep running. And I was greatly encouraged by the call to fix my eyes on Jesus spiritually and to keep on running for him. And that's why I say the most encouraging words that a runner can ever hear, I believe, are the words keep running. Keep running even when no one else is. Keep running even when it hurts. Keep running because you're almost there. And that's exactly the message that Peter gives us here in the verses set before us today in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Peter gives us one final push and call to keep on running for the glory of Jesus Christ and the salvation of the lost in this world because as elect exiles headed to glory, we're almost home. And so keep on running. And Peter encourages us in these verses to keep on running, to keep on running strong in three major ways. Three major ways. First, in verses 6-7, through Peter urges us as elect exiles to surrender to God's sovereignty. 
one of the surest ways to hit a wall when you're running your spiritual race here on earth is to begin to doubt that God is in control. And so in order to break through that wall and to keep on running, what we're going to study today uh, is how Peter encourages us first to surrender to God's sovereignty. Second, which we'll start looking at next week in verses 8 through 9, Peter calls on us to stand against Satan's subtleties. The reality is, just like in a real race, that we have an opponent who desperately wants us to slow down, trip us up, and if it were all at, at all able, knock us out of this race of faith for good altogether. And so, in order to avoid that obstacle and to keep on running for the glory of Christ and the salvation of the lost in this world, Peter encourages us to be aware of what our enemy is seeking to do to us and to take a stand against Satan's subtleties, both personally and publicly, in our walk with Christ. And then finally, in verses 10 through 11, Peter encourages us to strive towards heaven's securities. There is a finish line in this race of faith that we must remember In the time of hardship and difficulty, we must recall that there is a time coming of spiritual rest when we will not have to run any longer. And we're almost there. Peter encourages us that just a little while longer and we'll be made whole, we'll be long, we'll be strong, and we'll be home. And so keep on running. Strive towards heaven's security. So these are the three closing encouragements and calls that the Apostle Peter, one of the closest disciples of Jesus Christ, gives to us as elect exiles and as followers of Jesus Christ to keep on running. Surrender to God's sovereignty in your circumstances and trials. Stand against Satan's subtleties and strive towards heaven's securities. Keep running. And so with that in mind, please stand with me as I read our passage this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-11 through 11, as we stand out of reverence for the Word of God. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these encouraging words to us today. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist Him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God who opens our eyes so that we can behold wondrous things out of his law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage before us. I thank you, Father, that all those years ago, as those believers were going through trials and hardships, 
you by your Holy Spirit moved upon the Apostle Peter to write these words. For Father, now we are encouraged as we read your words here in this book to keep on running. Father, we know that there are many things that would seek to slow us down, many weights that would seek to cause us to take our eyes off of Christ and to focus on ourselves. So Father, I pray that this morning you would help us to break through those walls by your grace. Help us to run the race set before us, faithful to the end, because you, O Lord, sustain us. May that be our testimony in the days and the times in which we live. May we be known as those who follow Christ and keep on running. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as Peter considers how best to encourage his beleaguered and persecuted audience, and he has got just a few more moments to share the truth with them, as he considers how best to encourage these persecuted and suffered believers to run their race of faith to glory, he begins most appropriately with a call to them and to us to surrender to God's sovereignty. That's in verses 6 through 7. Peter's been showing us over and over again throughout this letter that to follow Jesus Christ in this world will mean hardship, disappointment, and discouragement. He's also shown us that these hardships perfect our faith, they promote the gospel, and they prepare our souls for heaven's glories. So we've been shown all of this, haven't we? We've, we know all of this. We've read it all in 1 Peter, haven't we? But the question that Peter thrusts before all of us this morning is, have you surrendered to what you know? Have you surrendered to God's sovereignty over your life and trials and difficulties? Because let's be honest, when we go through hard times and difficult trials, we can know in our heads that God is in control and yet in our hearts still be resentful and resisting for what God is doing. We can think, though we probably don't put it so much in words, we can think, this is your move, God? Well, fine. Then I'll play the waiting game. I will refuse to move on. I will refuse to work through this. I will refuse to keep running after Christ until you fix what you've broken because I refuse to accept that what you're doing is what's best. Brothers and sisters, if we do that, we are going to hit a wall in our spiritual growth. And we are, we're going to stop running the Christian life for the glory of God and we'll turn inward and become resentful and bitter and angry. And our worship of Christ will dry up. And so if you and I want to keep on running and growing spiritually in the midst of hardship, discomfort, and discouragement, then you and I must surrender to the fact that God is in control. We must surrender to God's sovereignty. So what does that mean? What does it look like to be surrendered to God's sovereignty? Well, to surrender to God's sovereignty, we're going to see in this passage, means to trust God. And to trust God in three most essential ways. First, to surrender to God's sovereignty means to trust God's sovereign purpose. 
And that's at the beginning of verse 6. If you recall, Peter has just mentioned back in verse 5 that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And therefore, Peter says, in light of that, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Now, to be humble, we saw last time, was to have an other's focus in life. Specifically, in verse 5, we saw that to have, it means to have an other's focus towards one another. That is, towards fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Well, here, interestingly enough, Peter calls on us to have an other's focus towards God himself. To have a servant's mindset in this race of faith, a disposition of the heart where we are thinking more of and about God and his purposes and his interests than our own. Where we esteem his interests and his desires and his purposes as higher and more significant than our own. We are to be humble not only towards each other, but most importantly towards God himself. We are to, as Peter says here, humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. God. Now that term mighty hand of God is an Old Testament expression that would have been very familiar to Peter's audience. It's an expression of God's sovereign power. It can describe God's sovereign power to deliver his people out of trials, which is exactly how that phraseology is used in Exodus chapter 3 verses 19 through 20, when God's mighty hand struck Egypt with many wonders and delivered his people Israel out of their oppression and their bondage and slavery in Egypt. So God's mighty hand can be an expression of God's sovereign power to deliver his people, but God's mighty hand can also be a description of God's sovereign power to put his people into trials as well. Just as Job says in Job 30 verse 21, by the might of your hand you persecute me. So really God's mighty hand is God's sovereign ability and authority to do whatever he wants to do with us whether it be to deliver us out of trials or to deliver us into them. God is God and we are not. He is over us. And doubly so, I want you to consider this morning, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God is over you doubly so as His children. When we belong to Him, not only by creation, but also by redemption, He, as our loving Heavenly Father, has the ability and the authority to deliver us out of a trial or to deliver us into one. He has the sovereign ability and authority to do whatever He has planned to do. And so if we're going to keep on running and growing and maturing in our Christian faith, we need to surrender to that fact that God is God. And He has the ability and authority to do what he desires. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. In other words, Peter is calling us here to not fight God's will, to not resist God's will, and to not doubt God's will. He is calling on us to submit to God's will as what it is, the mighty hand of God resting upon your life. And so believers, I want to encourage you this morning to look at your trials by God's grace like that as the mighty working of the hand of God upon your life, and to rest in that. You know, our family just read in our devotions this past week a perfect illustration of what this looks like, to rest under the sovereign hand of God. And we saw it through a person named Joseph in Genesis 39. Joseph, if my boys would recall, is sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was falsely accused by his owner's wife. He's unjustly thrown into prison. And his kindness to his fellow prisoners is repaid by being completely forgotten 
about for over two years. And yet throughout it all, unlike the rest of his family, Joseph never complains. He never grows angry. He never grows bitter. In fact, by the end of his story, Joseph tells his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for what? Good. Through good and through bad, Joseph doesn't fight, resist, or doubt God's will or control over his life for a moment. He submits to it in what it was, the mighty hand of God resting upon his life. This is a truth that desperately needs to be heard during times of hardship. No matter your circumstances, no matter your trials, God is still God. He's still on the throne. He hasn't lost control. He is still God. And so you don't need to fight your circumstances as if everything was up to you. And you don't need to argue about your situation as if God made a mistake and he just doesn't see it yet. We just need to accept it for what it is. It is a time of testing that God, by his mighty hand and his sovereign wisdom, has decided to put us under for his own purposes. Just as Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 11 says, God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. To what degree? Calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose and I will do it. This is our God. He accomplishes all his purposes by his mighty hand and none of us can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Just like Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 says. And neither, can I just throw this out there? Neither would you ever want to Because just as Joseph learned and experienced in his own life, God's purposes towards us are always for our good, beloved. Always for our good. Whether it's be to deliver you out of trials or deliver you into them, when God's mighty hand rests upon you, it is always for your eternal good. As Paul says in Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good for those who are called according to his what? Purpose. Now I know we're hearing on all these blogs today, you never want to share with someone who's going through a trial while God's in control. I highly disagree. Because I have one question for you. Then in what way are you different than an unbeliever? The only way that we as believers are different than unbelievers when we go through trial is we know that God is in control. And he has a purpose, and that purpose is good. I might not see it, I might not know it, oh, but I need to hear it, and I need to believe it. I need to surrender to God's sovereignty. For those of us who are in Christ by faith, who have been born again into God's beloved eternal family, God's purposes are always for our good. As he tells his people in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you. And Israel was looking around at that time saying, cool, uh, plans to destroy us, right? Plans to carry us up into captivity until we're extinguished from the face of the earth. And Jesus says, no, even though you're in the midst of the trials, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace and not for calamity. Plans to give you a future and a hope. 
God's purposes for us are always for eternal good. And we need to hear that. And we need to believe it. And that's why the psalmist was able to come to the end of his writing in Psalms 23 and look back on his life and say what? Surely goodness and mercy have followed me. What? All the days of my life. God's purposes are always good, beloved. And so we need to learn to trust God's sovereign purpose no matter how difficult the circumstances you're facing might be. God's got a purpose. It's to make us, well, not to steal too much lightning from later, it's to, it's to transform us into the image of the glory of Christ. So when we're resisting what God is doing in our life, it's usually because we've got some purpose that's not lining up with what God's purpose is for our lives. And so we need to learn to trust God's sovereign purpose no matter how difficult the circumstances you're facing might be. Just as Jesus told Martha at, his own, at her own brother's funeral in John 11, verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and trust God's sovereign purpose. Second, Peter calls on us as he encourages us to break through this wall and to keep on running for the glory of Christ. He says, not only trust in God's sovereign purpose, but second, trust in God's sovereign timing. And this is at least the one that was really convicting for me. Peter writes, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. See, when we go through trials in our pride, we often think that we know the best time to get out of them, don't we? In fact, we often think that we should just shoot right through trials out to the other side. What does that show? That shows that we haven't humbled ourselves yet beneath God's mighty hand. See, one of the clearest evidences of pride is impatience. Let me say that one more time. One of the greatest evidences of pride is impatience particularly when under trials we demonstrate a prideful resistance to god purposes and plans when we grow unpatient under the circumstances that god has given us and so god will often send us through extended trials in order to teach us patient humility and that's exactly what james 1 3 teaches us when james writes knowing this that the testing of your faith produces what patience right it humbles us when we have to accept God's timing in our lives, not our own. Yet, I would remind you once again, we should strive to do so. Because God's timings are best, not ours. Just like His purposes. For God has lessons to teach us in the midst of our trials that we can't learn any other time. And so, as the next verse in James teaches us, we need to to let patience run its full course so that we may be perfected and matured, lacking in nothing when it comes to our faith and our ability to glorify God in the midst of all circumstances. God's got a perfect timing in every trial. And we must submit to it. We must humble ourselves to it. Make no mistake, God will bring you through your trial. He will exalt you. But don't try to get out of that trial early. Wait until he exalts you, and he will at his proper time. Until then, just keep on, as Peter's been saying, just keep on doing what is good, no matter the cost. So part of surrendering to God's sovereignty is not only surrendering to his sovereign purposes, but also his sovereign timing. 
Every moment of your life, beloved, I want to remind you this morning, has been planned and is controlled by the mighty hand of God. Both the moment you enter into a trial as well as the moment you get out of it. Both are perfectly fixed for our own good by the hands of our fatherly God. As Psalms 139 verse 16 teaches us, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me before there is even one of them. What a comforting thought. Just as the hymn writer wrote, every joy or trial falleth from where? Above. If you don't know this hymn, look it up. Every joy or trial falleth from above, fixed upon our dial by the Son of Love. We can trust Him fully. It's all that we must do. And those who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. God has everything planned out. Every single moment of every single day, every single trial, when it would begin, when it would end, God had it planned before you were ever born, every detail, so that He could show you the most glory and the most good. And so as you run this race of faith, trust God's sovereign timing. It's part of His purposes. Just as Psalms 31 verse 14 says, I trust in You, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in Your hands. So trust God's sovereign purpose. Trust God's sovereign timing. Third, trust God's sovereign means. It's in verse 7. Peter writes this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time He may exalt you. And then he says this, verse 7, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now that's a present participle in the Greek, you don't need to know that, but what it means is that this command to cast all your anxieties on God is intimately connected to what we just looked at back in verse 6. In other words, how do we show that we have humbled ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God? How do we show that, right? How do we demonstrate that we've submitted ourselves to God's sovereignty over our lives and over our trials? Simple. We pray. We pray. That's the humble person. He prays. That's the submitted person. She prays. A person who believes that God is in control. A person who believes that God does what is best. And a person who trusts that God's purposes are always good for his children. That is a person who will diligently, what? Pray. Now you might think, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I mean, if I really believe that God's in total control and that everything is going to be exactly the way he wants to be anyway, then why in the world should I pray? And the short answer is, because a sovereign God not only determines his sovereign ends, he also determines his sovereign means to accomplish those sovereign ends. And the sovereign means that God has ordained to bring about his sovereign ends are often the prayers of his people. Just as 2 Corinthians 1 verse 11 states, God often grants his blessings, how? Through the prayers of many. So God has determined that he is going to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in this world, often through the prayers of his people. And so if you want to believe that God is in control, if you believe that God is in control and that he has ordained prayer as being the ordinary means by which he accomplishes his sovereign plans in this world and in the relationships that you have here on earth, then you will start praying. And so you will start praying. This is how we demonstrate faith, by the way, rather than fear in the midst of our world as elect exiles. We pray. If you want to know how powerful you believe God's hand to be this morning, ask yourself this. How much do you pray? you'll find the answer. That's convicting, brothers and sisters. You can determine the degree of your faith by the diligence of your prayers. 
Because if you are humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, then you will start casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That word anxiety, by the way, describes the tension that arises when we're pulled in multiple directions. And beloved, we're living in a world and in a nation that that's just, that's just the way we are right now. We're, we're anxious about wars and elections and inflation and deceptions. Oh my! We worry about everything. We are constantly pulled in different directions. But I want you to know that in the end, no matter what circumstances we're dealing with, the two directions we're always being pulled in is either trusting in ourselves or trusting in God. That's where most anxiety comes from, by the way. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with your heart in those circumstances. Are you trusting in God and are you humbling yourself beneath His mighty hand? Or are you trusting in yourself and your own means to bring about what you think is best? This is at the heart of every anxious thought. It is an inward tension and a struggle between trusting God or trusting in ourselves. And Peter teaches us here that the way that we convert our burdens into belief is by prayer. By prayer. By casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. He cares for you. Or as one paraphrase put it, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon God because you are His personal concern. Right? See, in the midst of trials, whom should you turn to first? Whom should you turn to first? Don't cast your anxieties first on your spouse. They can't carry it. Don't cast your anxieties on your children. They're not meant to at all. Don't cast your anxieties on your friends where you ought to turn to before and sometimes instead of anyone else is to God and cast your anxieties on Him. Why? Well, first, because He's the only one that has a mighty hand. He's the only one that can actually do anything about your anxieties. And second, because He's the one who cares for you. What wonderful words. He cares for you. That's what we need to remember in the midst of our trials that we often start to doubt. God's stopped caring for me. He doesn't have my best purposes at heart. His timing is for my ill. And Peter reminds us, oh no, beloved, His His timing is perfect. His purposes are perfect because He cares for you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God can do all things and that He will do all things for your good? Because He will. He cares for you. As another hymn writer wrote, no one understands like Jesus When the foes of life assail, you should never be discouraged. Jesus cares. He will not fail. No one understands like Jesus when the days are dark and grim. No one is so near, so dear as Jesus. Cast your every care on Him. That's what faith does. Faith grabs hold of the anxiety in our hearts and casts it upon God with the fists of prayer. It's too heavy for me. God, I can't carry it. I'm not God, but you are. You carry it for a while. I know you care for me. Psalms 55 verse 11 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, for He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You are His personal concern. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pray. Pray. And demonstrate a trust in God's sovereign purpose 
timing and means. This is what it looks like to surrender to God's sovereignty. And this is what it looks like to keep on running. So in conclusion, in conclusion, I have this as homework. This is where we get into heart surgery, okay? So these are things that were burning in my heart this week. And I pray they're an encouragement for you that hopefully this tool will be helpful for you as we seek to break through these walls and keep on running for the glory of God. In fact, I would recommend this again as, as homework this afternoon or this evening. So if you haven't been taking notes, this is when you do it, right? Is that a good clue, right? <laughs> this is an intentional way that you and I can put feet to the truth and start being purposeful in trying to surrender to God's sovereignty and demonstrate lives of faith rather than fear. So first, what I, this is your homework. First, for 60 seconds... Write down every situation or circumstance that you're resentful or you detect bitterness about. That's the first thing you can do for this homework this afternoon. For 60 seconds, write down every situation or circumstance that you're resentful or you detect bitterness about. Second, for 60 seconds, write down every situation or circumstance that you're frustrated or impatient about. That you're frustrated or impatient about. For 60 seconds, write those down. And then third, for 60 seconds... Write down every situation or circumstance that you're anxious or you're worried about. I did it. It hurt. (laughs) If you do that, you will have identified in 90 seconds the situations that are most likely going to halt your spiritual growth dead in your tracks. You will have identified those situations that you must surrender to God's sovereignty if you're going to keep on running well in this world for the glory of God. And then, what I want you to do is to then cast each and every one of those situations or circumstances before the Lord in prayer every day this next week. And you know what you'll quickly find out? First, you'll quickly find out that in all the areas that you're resentful or bitter about, you've not surrendered to God's sovereign purposes yet. And so as Peter tells us here, we need to pray about that. We need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and we need to pray about how God is calling on you this morning to esteem his purposes and his desires as more significant than your own idols. Because that's what it is when you start getting resentful or bitter. Trust in God's sovereign purposes. Second, you'll quickly find out that in all the areas where you are frustrated or impatient, you're not surrendered to God's sovereign timing yet. So you need to pray and cast that before the Lord as well. Pray about how God is calling on you to esteem his timing in these circumstances is more important than your own. Trust in God's sovereign timing. And then finally, you'll quickly find out that in all the areas that you're anxious or worried about, you've not surrendered to God's sovereign means yet. And so pray over that. Pray about how God is calling on you to esteem his methods and to esteem his wisdom as more important than your own. Because God has his sovereign means. Trust in God's sovereign means. Let us as a faith family this week put feet to the truth and cast our cares before the Lord this week. Let us find rest and peace as we seek to trust our sovereign God in terms of his purposes, his timing, and his means through prayer. Because this is the first way that you and I are going to keep on running faithfully in this world for the glory of God and the salvation of the lost it is by surrendering first and foremost to God's sovereignty over our lives now this is the word of God from first Peter 5 6 through 7 which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience 
until the one who cares for us returns to deliver us with finality by his mighty hand. To that end, as the men come forward to help us celebrate communion this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this final call that Peter is giving us in this passage to keep on running. Father, I I pray that you would help us, for we need your grace. Father, we live in this world and we are weak. We are often prone to anxiety. We are prone to weakness. We are prone to doubting. We are prone to leave the God we love. So Father, I pray that by Your grace You would keep us, sustain us this week, draw us back to You, and help us this week to demonstrate faith and not fear in Your sovereignty as we seek to be purposeful in trusting You in Your sovereign purposes your sovereign timing and your sovereign means. And Father, we thank you for the reminder that we have in Christ that we can trust you. For Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross at the hands of wicked and sinful men. And from the outside perspective, you would have thought that your purposes were not good that your timing was off, that your wisdom was flawed. But Father, we see in Jesus that is not true, that you are a God that we can trust in, and that you have a perfect purpose and a perfect timing and a perfect wisdom. And so Father, as we have seen how Christ committed himself to your care, And how he trusted in you. Help us to follow him this week. Help us to, just like Jesus did in the garden, help us to cast our cares and anxieties on you, knowing that you care for us. May we demonstrate in the midst of this world, Father, as followers of Jesus, faith, the faith of Christ, and not the fear of this world. We ask this. In Jesus' name, amen.